Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to episode 18 of the Retrospectors podcast, where we examine old games through a modern lens. My name is Patrick Arthur, and I'm joined today, as always, by my co-host, James Sterlings. This week, we're doing an in-depth review of Cave Story. So, James, why did we do Cave Story this week? Because this was your game, after all. Well, Patrick, you always choose shooters for our games every single time, and I thought, well, it's about damn time we do uh, a bit of a platforming game. And I know we did Psychonauts the week prior, but... Psychonauts' platforming elements aren't that in-depth, so I'd always wanted to play Cave Story for this reason, and um, I actually had a lot of urging from people that I'd been talking to outside of the show, and I'd been informed that it was a really good game and that we should have a go. So, you know, one of the first games that uh, I think I was recommended by uh, somebody other than Patrick. Yeah, Cave Story certainly has a legacy as um, one of those indie games that has gone on to influence the industry. It was first released in 2004 as uh, freeware, like it was a completely free game. And it was made entirely by one person called Daisuke Amaya, whose alias is Pixel. It was later adapted to uh, Steam, Nintendo 3DS, and most recently Switch in a Cave Story Plus version, which is the one we played, that essentially has a bunch of extra features. But really, the bulk of the game is still available completely free. So uh, you were playing on Steam as well, right, James? Yeah, I was. Um, it's available on Switch, but the Switch version was like $40 as opposed to like 10 So, you know, seems like a pretty straightforward choice to me. Yeah, I mean, and, and the thing is, the free version isn't significantly different from the um, from the new versions either. So if you're uncertain about this game, I would say just get the free version. And then if you like it, you can get the more expensive ones. But yeah, it's, it's available in a whole bunch of different places. But the question we're here to answer today is, of course, as we do every episode, has Cave Story truly stood the test of time? Is it still fun to play all these years later? It was made by one person, and it was made early in the indie revolution, but for the purpose of today's show, we don't care. We just want to know how good and fun this show is to play today in 2019. So, James, because you picked the game, I'll let you begin the discussion. What would you like to t talk about first about Cave Story? Well, I guess the first thing that springs to mind is just kind of introducing the setting almost, but I guess that's less relevant this time, right? Because you kind of just wake up in the middle of a cave with no idea what's going on. You play as a character called... Uh, I guess I guess we should say in big bright letters, spoilers. Over the course of this review, we'll be talking about all of Cave Story. So if you want a true spoiler-free experience, I recommend playing it, then coming back and listening. So there's your official warning. Listen on at your own peril. Uh, yeah, so in Cave Story, you wake up in a cave. Your character is called Quote, who's a robot. And these are things which aren't initially obvious. They kind of get trickled out to. And um, you've got no weapons. Uh, all you are is a guy who can jump. You leave the cave after acquiring a weapon, I think stealing it from a hermit, and you tumble into a village filled with, uh, with bunny rabbits. And you kind of get embroiled in this overall story about an evil doctor on this island. Yeah, and I guess one of the most immediate things that jumps out gameplay-wise is the fact that um, 
The first thing you'll notice when you acquire your first weapon in the, the opening cave is that as you shoot enemies, they drop lots of little yellow sparkly bits that you can pick up. And as you pick them up, a bar fills at the top of your screen, which when full, upgrades your weapon to the newest level, giving you, you know, a different projectile. You know, for example, the first weapon you get is a little pea shooter pistol. And when you get, um the first upgrade for it, it actually shoots two bullets instead of one parallel to each other. Um, and you actually lose this XP upon taking damage. And I think that one of the things that first sprung out to me about Cave Story is that getting hit in this game was something I was pretty afraid of. Not because of, like, losing health, which I guess, you know, after playing games for many, many years, I'm kind of not so afraid of anymore. But actually losing power from your weapon from taking damage is actually quite scary. So how did you feel about this system overall? Because honestly, I didn't end up liking it that much. Uh, I found the effect of this system where you lose power from your weapons is it basically heavily encouraged you to play very cautiously and passively and carefully? Because not only, as you said, do you lose health, you also lose experience levels from your weapon. And the thing about the weapons is that when they're in their max form, when they're level three and at max power level, they're extremely strong. Like uh, they'll shred through the vast majority of the enemies in, in mere seconds. But when they're in their level one forms, they're like, I don't know, two to three times less powerful. So you want to maintain your weapons level at maximum at all times. And you want to spend a lot of time gathering experience points so that your weapons are at max level at all times. And I found like I was having less fun shooting the enemies because I had to play so carefully. Yeah, so I kind of agree in some parts. For the most part, I want to point out that I really like this system. I think that when you first get a weapon, you're really excited to level it up and see the new upgrades. Um, and then once you've had it for a while, just it kind of feels really annoying to get hit. But I still liked the fact that it um, getting hit in this game puts you back more than just losing health. I think, as I said before, I'm not afraid to lose health in games anymore. But, like, losing actual gameplay elements is, like, a really good way to put the fear back in your players, I think. But did you find that it encouraged you to play more cautiously and passively as a result? I know when I was playing through the game, I was so keen to have my weapons at level 3 that I was playing very slowly and carefully, whereas the speed and tightness of the controls, I thought, would have encouraged me to a more proactive more fighty sort of play style but because getting hit was such a setback i was playing very slowly no i didn't find that i think you i think enemies drop xp at a much greater rate than you need to keep your weapons max so i never found that um, if you just keep killing enemies and picking up the sparkles you you can pretty much keep your weapon max the whole time through the game especially later on once you find that item that halves the amount of xp you lose when taking damage that really stops that from being an issue and i didn't really ever feel that way honestly yeah but the thing is it's a feedback loop right like if your polar star is level one you're doing a lot less damage to enemies it's more difficult to level up your weapon and deal with enemies. When it's level three, you can kill enemies really easily and breeze through Yeah, but them. you have like five weapons at once, right? So you always have at least one weapon that's strong enough to grind the other ones up. 
Oh, it, it's not it's not a question of uh, like this is unbearable or insanely difficult and I can't handle this situation. I just just the way I naturally approached the game was one of very slowly clearing out areas, uh, utilizing, you know, using my weapons at max range at all times to kill enemies from all over the place rather than, I guess, jumping in and having the battle royale and shooting my gun wildly everywhere because, yeah, I didn't want my weapons to be less effective. And I, I thought that was to the game's detriment. I think it would be better if they just got rid of the system altogether, uh, set your weapons level to like a more middling power level between level one and level three, uh, and just let you play more. That's so boring, though. It's so exciting to get the rocket launcher for the first time. You're like, wow, the rocket launch is pretty strong, but you have no idea um, how much stronger it's going to get. Like at level three, it's shooting three rockets at once, and you're like, wow, this is insane. I think that's like, it's exciting to experience those level ups for the first time. And I think that a big, like, the big, one of the biggest draws of this game is this system. I think removing that would fundamentally make this game a lot worse. Yeah, no, I, I strongly disagree. The The problem is that, uh, yes, when you level up a weapon for the first time, it's very exciting. But that happens, like, what, four, four times throughout the entire game? And I'd much rather just be able to kill the enemies, which, to me, the platforming and shooting, like, just that intrinsic feel of the game is the highlight and i think that me messing around running through xp managing your weapon levels all of that it detracts from it because instead of focusing on killing enemies you're focusing on making this bloody bean counter go up yeah it's fun um i guess we're gonna disagree pretty strongly here uh i i enjoy getting lots of little collectibles as i've said many times before and you know this is just another resource that i enjoy grabbing as much as i can of just to, just to continue for a bit longer, sorry, did you ever get the weapon called the Spur? Yes, I did on my second playthrough. Yes. So so the thing about the Spur is that it's basically at max level all the time, and it's a really strong weapon. And when I got the Spur, I was so grateful because I didn't need to mess about with that leveling up garbage anymore. I could, could just use the Spur from that point onwards. And as soon as I get the spur, I don't bother with any of the other weapons because I really like the spur and I don't have to worry about collecting all the stupid, you know, orange triangles. So that that weapon is uh, is fantastic. I wish all the weapons were like that. I strongly disagree. I felt forced to use the spur for how strong it was. And then the game got very boring for me once I had that weapon because I wasn't trying out different weapons. I was just, you know, using this one overpowered weapon. Um, I think that it's really good but I, I think it really detracts from some of the game elements and I'm quite glad that it's a, you know, you, you pretty much have to look up, either look up how to get this or go quite far out of your way to get this weapon. I found it without looking it up. You always return to the starting area, James. Yeah, fair. But um, I think most people on the... Well, on my first playthrough, I just traded... Because to get this weapon, you have to trade away your starting pistol... Well, not trade away your starting pistol at, like, three possible locations at the start of the game, and then keep it and bring it back uh, later on, so... Maybe I'm just too game-savvy, but I immediately knew what was going on when she offered to trade it. I'm like, no way am I trading my crappy pistol in. I know what's was going on Was that your here. first playthrough? Because the machine... Both my playthroughs, yeah. Really? Yeah. You know, the machine gun lets you fly. 
Oh uh, yeah, no, like, no, I have seen the machine gun. I saw some speed runs, and it looks pretty cool. But uh, yeah, there's there's a similar thing that happened. There's happened in a couple of RPGs I played where you have this seemingly crappy weapon, and then at the end game, if you if you're smart enough to hold onto it the whole way through, it turns into something sweet. So I correctly guessed that that's what was happening in this spot. Yeah, sure. Um, you mentioned you liked the general shooting and the gameplay feel. Yes. Um, did you want to like kind of explain the general gameplay? Yeah, it's um, it's kind of like once again, this is kind of like a difficult thing to describe. But the general gameplay is um, is platforming and uh, and two D shooting. So you're jumping around, shooting enemies. You do a lot of spamming on the uh, attack button. It's kind of almost uh you know you're kind of like uh in you know how bullet hell shooters how you're a ship and you're shooting like an endless stream of projectiles and enemies that's kind of what you're like in this game uh or you know the old 2d duke nukem games if anyone's ever played those yeah uh, it's a side-scrolling shooter with some platforming elements right yeah and um i think that on the whole this this to me is one of the best parts of the game uh just just the general feel of the gameplay it feels very tight it's very satisfying to kill enemies the feedback is great um you never really uh die unfairly most of the time it's all earned um i i think it's quite well done um i like all the different weapon choices you get they all fulfill a different niche which is interesting you you can get effective use out of all of them and you know there's four or five over the course of the game so um yeah uh, and the thing is even though it's difficult to talk about and this and i'm struggling to articulate exactly why this is really important like uh this is like 50 to 60 percent of the game for me and it nails the feel I will say the the way the camera controlled is a little strange. When you look left or right, the camera kind of gradually shifts to the left or the right and kind of like wobbles into place. It's not a very tight camera and you can't really control it or get your character to look up or down to get extra screen space so that's how the camera gravitated towards the arrow key that you were holding like if you're on a platform and you hold down it slowly looked down a bit extra for you oh does it go up and down as well okay see i was playing on a controller so i i was only looking left and right but uh okay i played on mice and keyboard it's just kind of shifted in either direction and you know not as not as tight as the camera controls in other games it wasn't a deal breaker it was fine I just found it a little bit annoying. I mean, the camera zoomed out enough that I don't think it matters that it moves. Oh, yeah. Like like I said, it's broadly fine. Just a, just a minor annoyance for me. Yeah, so Cave Story is a 2D platformer um, cross, you know, 2D side-scrolling shooter um, where the general gameplay loop is once you arrive in the first town, you do a bit of um, running back and forth with some NPCs and learning about the world. And then you generally from your main hub are able to teleport to different levels in the game world um, for which the NPCs will give you some various tasks and your general gameplay will be getting to an area and then trying to get to the end of it while you know like platforming and shooting enemies and it's not quite a race to the far right of the screen there is a bit of backtracking because these areas aren't just linear levels that you go through um, they're areas in which you do tasks for npcs in order to progress the story um, and i was actually kind of surprised by this i expected that 
every level that I teleported to, you just hold right the entire time to get to the end. But there were some little quests that make you backtrack a bit more than I was expecting. Um, and I think this was semi-successful. There was one or two huh. areas where it was very bad, actually. But I think that they could have made it work better than they did, and it wasn't all bad. Um, I don't know if you were surprised by this as well. Basically, like you said, I divide the level design in Cave Story into two different bits. There's the linear areas and the non-linear areas. The non-linear areas sucked. They were awful. They all require ridiculous amounts of backtracking. One requires you to fight the same mini-boss three times. Yeah, uh, so that... Okay, so let's talk about this specific instance for a bit. Sure. So in the second level of the game... You go to this forest, right? And you travel right along this road until you get to... It's like a, a wall you can't pass through, but you can see like a fireplace on the other side. And you go inside the house and this cute rabbit... Because all, all, um, all the NPCs in this game are either humans or rabbit people, I guess, is the best way to describe them, the Mimiga. And this rabbit person says, if you find some jellyfish juice, you can put it on my fireplace to put out the fire and walk under it to get outside the house to continue going. You're like, okay, so you go backwards and suddenly you've noticed that the level is now full of jellyfish. And you're like, okay, so you run back and there's a giant jellyfish which you kill and get the jellyfish juice. And then you go back and you get through the hole and you keep going. This would be fine if like three other puzzles in the level didn't require you to go all the way back to this one jellyfish mini boss, kill it, get its jelly and then go back. You have to get the jelly like four or maybe five times to get everything, including a few optional items. And I just found it to be extremely tedious. I have no idea what the guy was thinking when he made this part. Like if you had just got the jellyfish juice once and it was a reusable item, this would be fine. But like, this is not one instance of backtracking. It's like five. I just don't understand so so the word i use is amateurish like it's it's just it's just bewildering and bizarre that they thought this that this guy thought this would be a good and enjoyable gameplay loop um also you know the jellyfish just appears out of nowhere all of a sudden for no reason and yeah so these levels where you're going back and forth on these quests are terrible i mean uh the other one is the desert where you have to get the dogs it's just I like, actually don't hate the dogs. Yeah, but the problem the is like fine. once you've gone like going through each area for the first time, trying to kill the monsters and dodge the bullets and make the jumps is fun and entertaining. When the game forces you to repeat it over and over again, it just becomes tedious. Like it's not that it's so challenging that uh, you can get enjoyment out of the platforming every time. It's just you have to take your time to kill the enemies. Then you have to take the time to collect the experience. And like I said, I was playing very slowly and carefully to make sure my weapons were always at max level. So it was just like, why are you making me do this same shit over and over again? Let me get to new and enjoyable parts of the game. I thought that the dogs were fine, honestly. The section where there's this old lady in this hut in this desert and she's lost her pet dogs. And you kind of have to go find all five of them and one at a time bring them back to the house. 
Um, this was a bit of backtracking and it wasn't the greatest thing ever, but at least each of the dogs is hidden in a different part of the map and you have to do a different thing to get the dog, like one's guarded by a bunch of enemies, one's hiding in this platforming area that's in complete pitch black so you kind of have to like feel your way around the room to get to the dog. Unlike the jellyfish, at least this is slightly mixing up the gameplay, like it was way better than that, but you know, still not still not great. However, after the dogs, I think, which is about the third level, I think the game picks up significantly, and there's a level near the end of the game, the plantation, which has a bit of this NPC questing that is nowhere near as painful and I actually thought was like a successful implementation of this style of gameplay. See, I still don't think it is, and that's because the story is stupid and doesn't make any sense. Like, I, I think that if they'd presented you with decent enough reasons to do the things you were doing, it might make sense, but the your actions don't really, really make any sense. Like, so the thing with the collecting five dogs, should, should, sorry, should we talk about the story a bit here before before we continue? Because yeah, we probably, uh, probably need to give the people listening a bit more of context before we go on, yes. The primary story is um, you're a robot, you have amnesia, uh, you kind of stumble into the middle of this, uh, I guess I'd call it the background story, which is, which gradually, you gradually piece together over the course of the game. So the background story is that a family accompanied by, you know, a doctor and a couple of professors to study this floating island in the sky. Um, in the course of doing that, the doctor gains this magical crown that gives him really cool magical abilities and control of some minions. And he uses these magical abilities to enact a plan to, you know, take over the world, essentially. He wants to turn the Amiga into shock troopers and storm the earth and do generic evil stuff because he's an evil dude the Omega being the rabbit people inhabitants of the island the natives basically yeah. all the human characters and the robots in this game have come to the island through some other means and um the story as you're involved in it is that you just start i guess allying yourself with the poor innocent Omega against the evil cruel doctor so straight off the bat I think that the amnesia storyline is pretty bad. I think that if you're going to do an amnesia storyline, the best thing to do is to then give the player character control and choices so that they then get to define their character through the choices. Um, Planescape Torment does it, Fallout New Vegas does it. I think that if you are going to go with this, that's far and away the best way to do it. Amnesia into your kind of like a passive bystander uh, watching the character do things doesn't really work when your character doesn't speak and you've got no idea why your character is doing the things they're doing. You kind of just start doing what you're told almost. I, I don't know how you felt about this, but I thought it was a pretty weak start. I don't think there's an issue here whatsoever. Like, the the player character is essentially just a vessel for um, you, right? And to me... Well, it's not a it vessel, because you don't have any choice, so... When the villain of a game is so absurdly evil, like, they're just comically evil, I don't think that... It doesn't break my immersion when my character just decides to work against this absurdly evil character. I just... 
Like it would it would blow my mind if you had the choice of joining him. Like I don't it's just to me this is a non-issue, right? Like there's this doctor whose plan is to grow copious amounts of totally not opium and feed it to these rabbits and cause them to go insane and kill everything in sight it's like you're just you're just gonna help them stop him like i don't understand what your issue is i'm not saying the game should you know should necessarily give you the option to join him it's the fact that your character never speaks you never have a choice of dialogue options you never get to express yourself as a character. You don't know what that character's motivations are. Why are they doing the things they're doing? Why are they taking orders from everyone? Um, and then later on, this starts to really get me irritated, starting with the bit with the dogs. So with the bit with the dogs, at this point, you're on board with this idea. You're you're allied with these humans and the friendly Mimiga against the Doctor, right? And they say, all right, robot guy who's been following our every order exactly, uh, what we want you to do is go here and destroy the red flowers. We need to impress upon you the importance of destroying the red flowers. This is the only thing that matters. If you destroy them, it thwarts the doctor's evil plan. So you find the lady who has the key to the warehouse with the red flowers, and instead of taking the key from her, you go and start collecting dogs for no fucking reason. And listen, I get that it's a cute, you know, charmy game with a fun little plot or whatever, but it doesn't make any sense. Kill the lady, incapacitate her, take the key from her, open the place with the red flowers and destroy them. Done. That makes sense as a storyline. Going and collecting dogs? I don't understand why I'm because doing Because dogs this. are fucking adorable. But can, can you see what I'm saying? Like, you're blindly following the orders of these people. You understand how important it is to do it, and instead of trying to do it, you're off doing something that has nothing to do with anything. The, the characters' motivations don't make any sense, and there's no reason for them to do what they're doing. Just get the key, destroy the flowers. When you have a silent protagonist, there's less of a differentiation between the character and the player. It's almost like the vessel for you, right? You see these cute dogs, you want to help them because they're cute dogs, and that's enough for me. But I didn't. I don't give a shit about <laughs> the dogs. I want to do the thing. I want to destroy the red flowers. And and you can say it's a vessel for me, but if I'm not invested in this character, if the character's not doing the thing that makes sense, then how do you expect me to be invested in it? I, I think that as a story, it, it just as a storytelling device, it doesn't really make any sense. That that's the point I'm making. And and this isn't the only time it happens either. Um, you know the bit with the uh, where you have to obtain the sprinkler for the yes. rocket? So uh, you can walk up to a sprinkler, and instead of picking it up, you won't pick it up. Instead, what you do is you put on a mask, you go see a Mimiga that has a broken sprinkler, you get that broken sprinkler and swap it for a working sprinkler, and then you take it to the, to the scientist to install on the rocket rather than just taking the sprinkler in the first place. It doesn't make sense. Just take the sprinkler and attach it to the rocket. I can see what you're saying, but I think it's kind of an inappropriate criticism to attack this game for something it's clearly not trying to do, which is tell an ultra-realistic 
you know, uh, motivationally driven story. I think that this game's story is very clearly trying to just be something that's fun and charming and, like, whimsical and whatnot. And I think it ultimately succeeds in all that because it kind of throws all this idea of nitty-gritty character motivation and whatnot to the winds and just does things that are fun and entertaining to the player, right? Like, like I, I liked running around and finding these dogs in these stupid locations because, you know, they're drawn to be adorable, like hiding in these chests or in these dark house or whatever. Um, I don't, I don't need that kind of nitty-gritty, you know, motivational sense-making in this kind of game. I'm just not looking for that kind of experience when I'm playing Cave Story. So, like, for example, when Arthur, the head of the village, finds the Doctor finally, he's pulled out his sword, he's decided to fight, he charges at the Doctor, and the Doctor repel him, repels him and he dies. It's an incredibly sad emotional moment, right? Yes. And then you go on and you take his sword and it becomes the living embodiment of him, particularly when you level it up to level three. That's yeah. a meaningful emotional moment, right? Yes. That I don't think that can stand side by side with you collecting stupid dogs instead of doing what makes sense. And I know what you're thinking. Isn't that exactly what Undertale does? Yes. And to a degree, you're right. But the thing about Undertale is that from the start of that game to the finish of that game, you've got a clear goal. And that clear goal is to no, you don't. You know, leave. You're, you're trying to leave. You're, you're underground. And over the course of the game, you're trying to go back home. And then at the end of the game, you have a choice whether to stick with the friends you've made along the way or you can go back home. But Cave Story doesn't really have that clear start to finish goal. And you deliberately take decisions that are against your stated goals all the time for no clearly explained reason. I, I, I think the main story of this game is is poor. Um, another thing that it irritated me was, you know how Misery can teleport you? Yes. If she can just teleport people wherever she wants, whenever she feels like, why doesn't she do it more? Because that would make a bad video game. Like if she just teleported or, you off the side, it'd be a bad video game. It's, or it's that you could simple. not give her that power. You could not give her the ability to teleport anyone wherever she feels like, whenever she feels like. Do you not think that there's a level of, you know, silliness and whimsy and charm at which these kinds of nitty-gritty details stops being relevant? Like, at the end of the day, it's a video game, and video games have video game logic, right? When we're playing something like Silent Hill 2 that's super serious. I want all of the characters' motivations to make sense and everything that they do to make sense. When we're playing Cave Story, I could not give a shit. Like, they could do completely hypocritical things at all times and I would not care as long as it was entertaining to the player and kind of, like, matching the themes that the game was trying to convey. No, I, I basically disagree. I, I think that there are ways that they could have written these encounters that were made more sense. Like um, the lady, you know, you have a choice to fight this lady for the key or not. You don't have to. You can either collect the dogs or get the key. And then when you get to the warehouse, the enemies, you know, drop in halfway through you trying to destroy the flowers and they beat you and then they take the red flowers anyway. That would have been fine. They didn't do that. Um, I, I, th I think it's poor storytelling. It's not that the thematically it's that collecting dogs is inappropriate. It's that that's the only thing you can do. But I've been negative for a long time. So, so we'll negative. just have a quick music break. 
This is Cave Story's main theme from the remastered soundtrack. Enjoy. So I want to tell you a bit about the story I do like, which is the story that's going on in the background, like uh, the the family and the doctor and the way that's unveiled to you is really natural and interesting. And I like how you kind of don't get it all at once because you shouldn't get it all at once. You're you know going through the world on your own journey. And then as you encounter different members of this family, it starts filling in all these details. And one of my favorite little story moments is when you find the teleporter between the plantation and the bushlands. Because there's a moment where um, someone comes through a teleporter, you've got no idea where from, to meet you and the son of the family uh, in the bushlands. And uh, later on, you go to the plantation where he would have come from because that's where they were being kept prisoner and you take the teleporter back and it all links in. So I, I quite like that that story, like that that background, that backdressing. I just very much dislike your, your personal journey through the game. Yeah, that's interesting to me. One of the things that really struck me is how the main character, it's not all about him, right? Like ultimately you end up saving the day but the characters aren't jerking you off the entire time, right? You're not the center post of everything and everything's about you, 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 you all the time. Like a lot of a lot of games fall into that trap. In this game, you're like almost a side character to these other characters um, who this story is centered around. And while ultimately you do play a big role in it, you know, you're just you're just a role player at the end of the day. And I find that a lot more natural um than a lot of these other games that force you into this like pivotal central role where everything is about the main character yeah and narratively i think it's really well done it's kind of undermined by the fact that you do actually do literally everything in this game though like gameplay wise you do everything by yourself but but narratively i like the way that's structured i agree and I like some of the, a lot of the supporting characters too, like you said. Um, one of my favorite moments in the entire game uh, takes place kind of in the middle of the game. And so this game has a bunch of different ways that you can uh, get to the end. There's actually three different endings. And this bit that I'm about to talk about is kind of the, the moment where you get to choose essentially which ending you're going towards. Um, so kind of in the center of the game, after that bit where you've been teleported into this maze that Patrick mentioned before, you end up going through the maze and then helping this NPC that's actually another robot um, that later on in the story you found out you two were sent to the island together, but you both got amnesia. Um, 
And, you know, there's this bit, there's this great bit in the game where you finally repair the robot and you and her go through the level together as kind of a tag team shooting everything. Like, you know, she's along for the ride, basically, and the music supports this and the gameplay supports this. It's this really, like, uh, happy, action-filled romp through this dungeon, absolutely destroying the enemies that run at you. And at the end of this dungeon is a boss fight, right? And you defeat the boss, and then all of a sudden, the entire cavern fills up with water, and you, you, dr you drown, right? Like, your oxygen runs out, and the screen goes black. And then all of a sudden, there's a text box which says, Huh, I can breathe again. And, um, kind of throughout that first dungeoning level, there's patches of water, which when you go into them, you slowly run out of oxygen. But when your partner and her name is Curly Brace, goes in the water. She gets this, like, oxygen bubble around her, kind of implying that she can breathe underwater. And when you, like, kind of wake up from having... Well, you think you've drowned, you find yourself with the oxygen bubble around you, and your partner Curly Brace passed out in the water, drowned and, like, presumably dead, because she's sacrificed her oxygen tank to save you. And after you beat the game... The camera actually pans through all of the levels in the game as the credits roll. And when it pans over this boss dungeon, you can still see her dead body lying in the water. And I found that to be, like, you know, very... It made me sad when I saw that. I don't know how you... If that had any effect on you at all. But I felt so bad that this character saved me and was just, like, left in this ditch for all time. And I especially liked how that, um... Her giving you the oxygen tank was almost foreshadowed earlier in the water sections. Yeah, I mean, as I referred to earlier, I think there are some really sad moments in this story, and that's the other reason I was kind of so ticked off by the uh, by the silly, nonsensical ones, because the game is capable of, um, of some emotional moments, and I agree that that was a strong one. But uh, luckily, at least in this game, you don't uh, you don't need to leave them all for dead. There's a uh, there's a secret hidden ending that requires you to do some pretty obscure stuff. Um, I certainly wouldn't have discovered this uh, this secret ending without help. And uh, James and I both played through the game twice. Uh, I was the only one who completed it, right, James? You didn't complete. No, the, I've uh, gotten right up to the end. Um, I'm probably going to beat it in the next week or so, but I just haven't had the time. Yeah, so so James and I played through the game to completion for the normal ending, and then we both played it through right to the end for the secret ending. And uh, yeah, there's no way I would have found the secret ending without looking up help. You essentially need to make this crazy difficult jump, although it is kind of signposted. You need to find a hidden item at the right time. You need to save Curly. There's like a side quest you need to go on. So in order to get the secret ending for this game, you need to do this whole long list of stuff. It all begins when instead of getting uh, the first booster, which is a uh, which is a neat jetpack that gives you some cool mobility options, you need to deliberately avoid getting it and complete the rest of the Labyrinth dungeon without it, which makes uh, the next couple of areas a lot more difficult, including what for me was probably the second hardest boss fight in the game, which is called the core. Uh, later on, if you if you you know if you can complete it without the jetpack, you get a more powerful version of the jetpack. Uh, with that more powerful version, you can complete a couple of additional side quests. Um, you can save Curly Brace. 
Uh, there's a long list of things that you need to do uh, that are quite well hidden in order to get the secret ending. And it essentially gives you a couple of different, more difficult areas revolving around the upgraded booster and an insanely difficult boss fight at the end of the game. Uh, what did you think of this uh, alternate ending, James? Did you uh, did you enjoy the different areas and the different take on the story? Yeah, I did. I think um, if I was to tell people to go play Cave Story, I'd tell them to play the game through normally first, because I think the difference between the first and the second playthrough is enough to warrant playing through the game twice. Um, the start's quite similar, which is unfortunate, but once you get to this... Um, you know, the story doesn't really branch that much um, from the changes, but the gameplay actually does. Like, as we said before, I got the... Like, I traded in my starting weapon for the machine gun quite early on, and the difference between playing without the machine gun and playing without the booster and all this other stuff that you had to do for the second um, playthrough actually made it, like, a lot more fun. But I don't think I was would be good enough for the game if I hadn't played it through that first time. Some of the areas are significantly harder. The last platforming areas of the game are substantially harder. In fact, the second... Uh, in fact, the place called Last Cave is just an entirely different level if the game has detected um, that you're going for the secret ending. Uh, the different last cave is the best level in the game, by the yeah, way. Yeah, I agree. Actually, um, I think that because when you have the first booster from the first playthrough, which is the booster point eight, apparently, um, you know, you only get a bit of hovering and jump height, but the bo booster two point that you get on the second playthrough allows you to move in a bunch of different directions rather than just essentially being a double jump. And I found that the all the platforming that specifically used this booster, like going through this really narrow gap, was a lot more fun than some of the platforming that was earlier in the game. Yeah, it was it was heaps of fun. I, I really enjoyed um, the last cave with the booster 2.0 because I was like, finally, I'm doing some actually difficult platforming. Because honestly, apart from that, there's really nothing that I would say constitutes difficult platforming. It's mainly long jumps, I guess, is as hard as it gets. Uh, so yeah, Last Cave Two is great. In fact, I wish there was more of it. There's uh, yeah, I agree. There's unfortunately very little pure platforming with the Booster Two Point Yeah, I agree. I think that if the game had a lot more of this actually difficult platforming, because I remember watching somebody play this game, and the only thing I saw them doing was the very, very last area, which is very hard. Um, I assumed the whole game would be like that, but in actual fact, there's like a bit of platforming, but none of it's very hard at all until this area that you can only get to in the secret ending. Um, I think that this game would be a lot better if there was more of it, because what's here is really, really fun. Let's talk a little bit about the difficulty, and then we'll move on to the uh, that final secret section of the game. Um, I think Cave Story is pretty easy. Uh, I was surprised because going into it, I was expecting a very tough game. But I think that there are only two real significant, you know, difficulty spikes. The first is the uh, heart of the core fight, that very first heart of the core no. fight. Oh, you didn't find that difficult at all? I beat that first try. The first difficulty oh my spike, God, wow. in my opinion was the boss in the flower room in the sand area that threw those blocks. 
I died to that thing like 20 times or something stupid. And then I went to bed out of frustration and woke up and beat it first try. So I don't know if I was just tired, but that thing gave me a lot of trouble. Whereas the core I beat first try. So I died to him about... I died to him about three times, but the thing about him and a lot of the other bosses, unfortunately, is that they um they only have one or two attack patterns. Yes. So once you figure out how to exploit those one or two attack patterns, it's just a matter of rinse and repeat. The execution isn't too difficult. The thing I found really difficult about Heart of the Core was the projectiles that came out of it, which you had to destroy or dodge, and the fact that it uh, was hidden from damage for a large portion. Like, it only exposed itself half the time. Um, the room got flooded, which hindered your platforming, yes. and it kept shooting you to the back of the room. All of these things put together meant that I died, I don't know, it took me 15 attempts for the first time okay. I tried to beat that. Oh, yeah, and, and all the damage I took kept leveling down my weapons, and I didn't have an easy way to get the levels back so yeah i really struggled that uh that that undead core fight yeah i found that if you could get close enough to its face like if you were directly under the weak point um it was quite hard to take damage and the sword weapon you get just before is extremely powerful when it's on level two mm. so i actually found myself taking damage on purpose so i could kill it faster with that um and also the machine gun made it super easy i did find uh, on my second playthrough, that it was a lot harder without the machine gun. So maybe that was it. Uh, also, well, the other big difficulty spike for me was the end of the game. That also, you essentially have to face a gauntlet of boss fights uh, with no checkpoints or healing much in between. You have to fight Misery, then the Doctor, uh, who has two phases, and finally the Undead Core, which is kind of like a rework version of Heart of the Core with a couple more uh, mini-bosses kind of supporting it. And I thought that was tough. I thought that was a fitting way to end the normal game. Yeah, it was a huge step up in difficulty, though. I was not expecting it to get that hard all of a sudden. Um, mm -hmm. I do really like that fight, though. As we said before, the bosses aren't super complicated, but they're extremely fair in that once you figure out their patterns, you pretty much, you know, become immune to damage from them. Um, so once you figure out each of the, like, phases of the four-stage boss fight, you know, it's definitely very beatable, and I really appreciate how fair the game is. I will say that there's... I'm not sure if I'd call it a structural problem, but it's a structural decision with regards to difficulty that Cave Story has taken. I noticed that as you play the game, your the distance between save points and health points kind of stretched out. And that culminates with the end fight where you have to fight three bosses with no save points or health points in between. Whereas more modern takes on, I guess, difficult design tend to raise the difficulty of areas but keep the checkpointing consistent throughout. And what it means is that the difficulty is less in mastering each boss fight to a certain degree and more about doing the earlier fights perfectly so you enter the final fight with full health. Yeah. And overall, I'm not actually a huge fan of this as a structure because it starts to get like a little tedious and boring when you already know how to do something and you know how to do it pretty well, 
and it keeps making you do it over and over just so you can get to the bit that you actually find challenging. I think stuff like boss rushes are fine as optional content as a way to consume games, but I like each challenge to be self-contained. Yeah, I, I think that criticism's fair. I did find the first three stages to be you know, pretty boring by the time I was actually fighting the last phase, which was significantly harder than the first three. Um, I actually think the first phase is harder than the second two. Agreed. Yeah, so I, I agree with you here. I would have liked each one. But I, I, I don't hate that the game is finished with a boss rush. It only happens once in the game, that's fine. I don't like that they did it again for the secret ending, but <laughs> maybe that's just me. Yeah, no, this is this is a huge, huge problem, and I'm sure some people will disagree. Um, so I did manage to finish the game uh, after grinding it for something like two to three hours in total, so it took me nearly as long to do this final bit as it did to play the entire game. So what happens is you go through uh, a difficult platforming bit, which can kill you immediately. Then you go through a room where boxes uh, are falling on you and you're being swarmed by enemies. I lost like 30 of my 50 health every time I went through this area. So I can get through those first two areas without taking damage pretty consistently now impressive actually um yeah i actually really like the challenge of this area but i, I don't think it's an insanely difficult thing in fact like it's actually pretty forgiving in my opinion once you get past those first two areas the start of the next room has so much health that even if you lose more than half your life to the first few rooms, you can get it all back like straight away. Well, yeah, uh, and that's what happened to me every time. I'd be at 20 HP when I get to the third room, which is like, I guess you'd call it a more normal area. Like there's monsters and health and a little bit of platforming. And I would, you know, slowly make my way through this room and get all my HP back. At the end of that room, there's a boss and... It's not a super difficult boss because it dies pretty quickly, but it, you can definitely take some damage off it if you're not careful or if it's your first couple of times doing it and you're bad at dodging. And that's what happened to me. And then after that boss, you get to the final challenge of the game, which is also the hardest boss in the game. And I feel yeah. that they absolutely should have put a save point and some health after that boss have the three-stage gauntlet with the boss at the end, have a save point, and then take on the final boss. And maybe if you're a cave story purist, you're puking now at my casualness. <laughs> but the frustration of having to repeat that gauntlet over and over again, when I knew what to do and how to do it, it was just a matter of spending the five minutes it took to get through it, was pretty frustrating. And... Honestly, if I wasn't doing the podcast, I wouldn't have bothered because it's just I don't love the game so much that I want to put myself through that sort of boring pain over and over again. And I, I, I don't like it. I think it's poor design. I actually find this really interesting that you have this strong opinion. Um, we have basically mentioned this game on every single episode, but we talk about Dark Souls mm. a lot, and you're a huge proponent of this game. Yes. So I guess my question to you is, do you think there should be a bonfire in front of every boss? No, but I think there should be a bonfire in front of the final boss. Like, I think that the fact that you had to do that run from the bonfire to Gwyn in Dark Souls 1 is bad design, and I think that uh, the later Dark Souls fixed that up by putting bonfires immediately behind the most difficult bosses in the game 
Soul of Cinder has a bonfire right before it, um, as does uh, Nameless King in Dark Souls 3. There isn't one before Dark Eater Medea, but there is one pretty immediately before uh, Slave Night Gale and Dark Sister Frida. So, so what you're saying is you think the difficulty of the boss determines how close the checkpoint should be? Uh, I, I think that the final challenge of the game... Um, so, so my problem was that that final challenge was so difficult to reach for me at first, and I got better at it as I played. It was annoying because I'd get almost there and then I'd die, which is okay. But when I finally finished it and I had, you know, 10 health left, I barely got to see the boss. I was excited to fight the boss, but I was on 10 HP. So it was more like, oh, let's see what this boss is like. And then I had to spend another five minutes going through the shit I already knew how to do before I saw the boss again. Yeah, but this is just exactly the same game design as half of the areas in Dark Souls, right? There's this really long gameplay section, normal gameplay section, followed by a boss immediately after. And you love those games. So, okay, so the other big uh, thing to distinguish between the two is that in Dark Souls, you just do boss runs and you just run past all the enemies, and it takes 20 seconds at most because you don't need sure. to fight any of the enemies. Whereas I feel the cave story platforming section is a lot more... It's always going to take me five minutes because I'm not a speedrunner. No matter how good I am at the game, there's no way to shortcut it, really. In Dark Souls, you just run past all the enemies and roll at the right time, and you can get right into the boss fight. I'm certainly... When I play right. Dark Souls 3, I'm certainly not fighting every single enemy, every single time I go to the boss. Okay, I do fight. I pretty much always fight every enemy on the way to the oh, boss. Oh, really? I'm getting really annoyed. Yeah, I'm surprised at this. I, um, I always go, in Dark Souls, I always fight every enemy once. Like, I kill every enemy once. But once I've found the boss and I've got the bonfire to the boss, there's no reason to fight them again. You may as well just run past. There's nothing stopping you from running past. So I'm not going to waste weird. time fighting okay. the enemies again. Okay, fair enough. I didn't know you played the games that way. Um, in general, I agree. I, my problem was that I mastered the platforming section so early that it was no longer a challenge for me. Mm -hmm. So it was just five minutes of easy platforming and slow methodical killing enemies and then my shot at killing the boss. But, you know, what it is is what it is. Overall, I enjoy that area quite a bit, even though I haven't finished it. Mm -hmm. I've gotten up to the final boss a few times, but, you know, not quite there. Um, I actually just wish the rest of the game was harder. Uh, I think that the last cave is the kind of... it should ch Like, most of the platforming should challenge me to that level. But I guess with the game going for such a, like, whimsical, charming feel to it, it's probably not appropriate to be like that the entire time. Yeah, I would have liked to... I would have liked it to get more difficult. And when I first started playing the game, I thought it was going to kick my nuts in, not just because of the reputation... But because there are aspects of its design that are hardcore, you've got these spike traps that like instantly kill you. At yeah. the, in the very first cave, you go for the door and it's a mimic and it kills you. And I'm like, oh my God, this game's going to be full of trolls and spike traps and I'm going to be dying all the time. And to be fair, I, it's not like I breeze through this game without dying. I did die a reasonable amount. It's just, it never really felt too punishing to die, I guess, uh, most of the time. Yeah. The save points early in the game were pretty generous. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It wasn't too hard. I wish it was a little bit harder, but, uh, you know, it's it's fine. It's a fine level of difficulty. 
Yeah, definitely agreed there. Um, I guess this brings us to my favorite thing about the game, which is the soundtrack. Um, unlike a lot of soundtracks for games that we've listened to previously, I think that Cave Story's soundtrack does a very good job of standing on its own. I love pretty much every track on this soundtrack. It's very upbeat, very... I guess hype would be the word. Like, a lot of times um, when we're playing stuff like Silent Hill, you know, the soundtrack is good and it's there and it's atmospheric and it keeps you immersed. And I found this, I found myself, I don't know if this is a bad thing, but my immersion was broken all the time because I was like, wow, this soundtrack is amazing. I love that. And I just like stopped playing to listen to the music. Um, so I guess it's not exactly an atmospheric soundtrack. Um, it's just lots of good music that you listen to as you play the game, kind of. Oh, the music is excellent. I, I love this game soundtrack. I should mention that there are actually three versions of the soundtrack. That doesn't matter. There's only one you need, right? Uh, do you, you listen to the original, I assume? Well, the original, there's three soundtracks, right? There's the original soundtrack, the remaster, which is just the original but updated, and the new one. So, you know, I listened to all three throughout the game. I tried to do my second playthrough with the new music, but I just, I hated Agreed. it in comparison. The new music yeah, like, is I don't... trash. It's really bad. It's bad. Yeah, I could see people listening to the original if they had played the original and were nostalgic for it, but honestly, I think the remastered tracks are just better. Yeah, no, I disagree. I, I far prefer the original music. I, I think that... Really? Yeah, I, I think the remaster is good. Like, I, I have no problems with the remaster, but I prefer the... I think the original sounds the best, sounds the most natural, the best blended. I found the remastered track... Uh, it was kind of like a thicker sound, but it didn't really capture the vibes of the game as well as the original. So, yeah, I, I don't have a problem with the remastered, but my preference was definitely for the OG music. But they're both extremely good, yes. right? Like, I love this soundtrack. I, I think, I think um, the remastered is fine. I, I don't have a, you know, I think that if you prefer the remastered, that's a very defensible choice. I think if you prefer new, that is an indefensible choice, and you should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> Yeah, it's very high octane, very high tempo stuff. Uh, it Not just had it. me going the entire time. Yeah, there, there was, are a few slower tracks. Yeah, there was one track in particular I really liked that was a bit slower and reflective, and it was called Moon Song. It's the name of the track when you're ascending the outer wall up to the plantation. Yeah, I agree. That one's really good too, and I guess we showed one of the more peppy ones earlier. Um, which, you know, most of the soundtrack is like that, with some highlights being um, Meltdown 2, Oppression, which is the soundtrack from the core boss fight, which you were talking about earlier. So I'll let you guys listen to this one that Patrick really likes, so you can kind of understand that this uh, soundtrack also does the slower moments really well as well. So here's the original arrangement of Moonsong.
So um, that's the music. We'll move on to the other major part of aesthetics, which are the graphics. Uh, like with the music, there are two major different styles. There's new and then there's the classic. The classic graphics are the ones from the original release of Cave Story in 2004. They're kind of pixel-arty, Super Nintendo-esque, whereas the new ones, I guess you would say it smooths out the edges. Everything's in higher definition. So I tried both the new and the classic graphics over the course of the game, and my conclusion after playing with both is that the new graphics are not very good whereas the old ones are much better. What I liked about the old graphics was it felt very hand-drawn. It felt like it had a consistent style to it. It felt like it had more character. The HD update of it made it more apparent how it was. there were lots of kind of like tile sets and repeating graphics kind of slapped together like Lego blocks. I found that the rougher graphics uh, gave it a more consistent flow um across the board i know i know there are some people who prefer the the new ones but i found the new ones pretty pretty goddamn ugly whereas i found the original aesthetic pretty charming i will say that there are parts of this game like the bush zone and the sand zone where the where it's obvious even on the old graphics that it is a bunch of tiles stapled together and it doesn't come across as particularly creative or interesting. But, uh, yeah, it, it did a good job. Did, did you play with the new graphics or the old ones, James? Uh, I actually have the exact opposite opinion to you. I thought that the... Like, I found it extremely striking how clean the game looked with the new graphics. I do agree that there was a lot of repeating tile sets everywhere, but I kind of... I don't know, I kind of drowned that out. I really liked the clarity of information that you got when playing with the newer updated graphics. I think both are perfectly fine. I actually think that both do a great job of bringing the game to life. A lot of the areas, and especially the character designs, are extremely memorable and charming. One of my favorite characters is called Balrog, and he's just a big cube. Apparently he was based off of um, a bar of soap. He's the Kool-Aid um, guy, And I found him he? the Kool-Aid guy. Yeah, you know, oh yeah, he even says oh yeah as he smashes through walls. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's actually, um, yeah, it's uh, apparently that is a reference to that. But um, in a lot of the trivia stuff I've read, he is based on a bar of soap. Nice. Um, which, yeah, I, I don't know how they got that. He looks more like a toaster oven or a TV to me. But, um, yeah, I think that in the, the remaster graphics, they add a lot of detail to his ex facial expressions. Like, they give him eyebrows, and I thought that a lot of the character portraits in particular looked a lot better with the new remastered visuals. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I really didn't like the remastered visuals. I... I kind of liked the the more retro look of the game. It kind of, you know how you talked about how it's got this kind of goofy, stupid atmosphere? I thought that it suited yeah. that 90s era, sort of looked better. And the up, I, I didn't really want a clean game from this because it feels like a messy, amateurish mess in a lot of ways with how it's put together. So adding on this pristine coat of paint didn't really strike me as the right mood for the as you know for what the game was going for 
but maybe that's just because I'm a little negative on a little bit more negative than you. I will say that the um, even though I thought the environment bit. designs were pretty boring, I thought the boss designs were fantastic. Like so full of character, particularly like the core. I think the heart of the core is like astonishing the detail that exists in that fight. It must have taken forever to draw and animate that. And it just it just pops out of the screen. It's it looks really, really good. Uh even if some of the environments are a bit whatever. Yeah, I agree. I actually was gonna bring up the I forget the name of it. I'm gonna call it the X loader. It's this big machine in the shape of a cross. Yeah, the robot, yeah. The robot that has four extremities that are just um like tank treads almost. And it's kind of attack pattern so is that it drives left and right. And as it drives left and right, like the center frame of the X kind of moves left and right with momentum. So when it's slowing down, the middle of the robot continues to drift a bit to the right mm-hmm. or left. I thought that was a really nice touch. I think the animations in this game are all quite well done. And all the boss designs do look fantastic, as you yeah, said. Yeah, the final environment where you fight Balos, you can see bones just littering the floor. And those are the bones of the people who have tried to kill Balos before you, including presumably Arthur, the um the Mimiga who everyone views as their hero. And yeah, that was that just just looks fantastic and really sucks you in. Um, it's just a bit of a pity about areas like the sand zone, where you you know is like the most generically named place you could possibly imagine. Yeah, and that's really weird because it follows up the first area, which is called egg corridor which is one of the most bizarre looking visually looking areas i've seen in a game it's just this really long uh industrial corridor filled with giant eggs um and i thought that i was like oh this is cool maybe the everything in the game will look this cool but you're right no there was just generic forest and generic desert after that which was kind of so on that topic i was a little disappointed with the overall world building in this game um and once again, maybe I've been spoiled by modern titles, but I like my worlds to kind of bleed into one another to make them a consistent, believable place. And with Cave Story, uh, you're always teleporting from place to place. And although there are a couple of bits where you move from one area to another by traveling through it, it still felt like every single level was very disconnected from the last. I never really got a sense of the cave story world as a place is more just a bunch of individual locations. Yeah, I can agree with that. You're you're on this floating island and I have no idea how the forest and the sand zone and the labyrinth and everything kind of connects together. It's a bit haphazard, but I don't mind just because it mixes up the visual design. As I said, my big complaint is that a couple of the areas are a bit dull to look at individually, but I think in general the graphics do, you know, a reasonable job. I like the wash. I actually like the washed-out color palette of everything. Mm-hmm. That's a good um, point. I think it. Yeah, I think that it suits the tone, and I really, really like the character designs. Like, really like the character designs in this game. I think they're all uniquely memorable in their own way and quite charming. Yeah, I, I think that the characters designs are pretty well realized. Um, I'm more. I'm a lot higher on the bosses than I am the random characters you encounter. But honestly, it's it's pretty well done. I wish the environments were better. I wish they bleeded into one another better. I wish you traveled from those environments and transitioned. But uh, yeah, it's it's perfectly fine, and it's it's got some excellent aspects to it. 
Yeah, I don't think, you know, if we're talking about how well this holds up, I think that, you know, these graphics aren't going to blow your mind, but I don't think they're ever going to be unplayable, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, maybe that's another point in favor of the classic graphics over the remastered ones. I think that the uh, more pixelati graphics will age better in the long term. Really, I actually think that the the clarity that the newer visuals deliver is, um, you know, much better for... I don't know. I, I found that it was hard to keep track of things on screen with the older graphics, but maybe that's just me. Um, it is worth noting that this game is, does not have widescreen support, and you're kind of locked into playing in a box the entire time. I didn't really notice it, but there's definitely people who would take issue with that. Um, this is the first time I've noticed you saying it to me right now, so... <laughs> Yeah, it's it wasn't an issue for me, clearly. Yeah, like, it's fine. If you have a big enough monitor, you know, you can see everything you need to see. It's not an annoying game to have to play, uh, you know, in a square. So I think we've covered most of what we want to cover. So we should move on to our conclusions and whether we uh, recommend this game to play today. So James, uh, do you recommend playing Cave Story today? Has it stood the test of time? I found that I enjoyed my second playthrough of Cave Story a lot more than I did my first playthrough through it, due to the extra difficulty introduced in the secret ending. Um, I think that even on my first playthrough I quite liked Cave Story, but on my second playthrough I absolutely loved it. The music in particular I'm going to be listening to for months to come. I think the soundtrack in this game is by far the best soundtrack we've done in terms of songs being good on their own merits. Um, it's not a great atmospheric soundtrack, but it's definitely one that you can listen to on its own and for it to be superb. As for the gameplay, I think it really shines when it's trying to challenge you, but it only does that on the second playthrough. So, you know, if you're going to be playing this game, resolve to play through it twice. That's definitely the way to play it. I think that when it is challenging you, the game is really fun. The Jetpack 2.0 is extremely fun to use, and I really loved the weapon system that was constantly surprising you with upgrades, uh, particularly this weapon called the Bubbler. The bubbling, which goes from being the worst piece of shit, it just shoots a bubble that does exactly one damage, to being this insane screen-covering mess of projectiles that's absolutely fun to use. Um, so I really liked the weapon system, and the story is absolutely endearing and charming, and I loved every bit of it. It's very obvious that this game inspired Undertale. It's got the same kind of relaxed, comfy feeling with a lot of you know, dark story beats interwoven between them, and I really like that. So yeah, absolutely would recommend Cave Story. I do think it stood the 10 years test of time, especially since the original is free and it's only like three or four hours long. It's really hard for me to say you shouldn't play this game. So if you've been listening to me this whole episode and maybe you've thrown your, you know, cup at the screen in disgust, you may be surprised at me to say that I do recommend this game. Um... I think this game has a lot of problems. I think it's amateurish. I think it's rough in a lot of spots. I think the story sucks. I don't like the leveling up system of the gun. But the truth is the core gameplay of running and shooting stuff is still really fun. I played through the game twice, and I wouldn't have done that if I wasn't having a fun time. So I definitely had a lot of fun with Cave Story. 
and maybe in a way it's like a victim of its own reputation because I was expecting an incredible game that would blow my mind and what I got instead was like a fun little shooter. Um, I think the music's fantastic. That's definitely something I wasn't expecting. It was even even better than than I thought it might be. And I had fun with Cave Story, but it wasn't a great game. I recommend it. Uh, it's you'll have a good fun time with it. But I doubt if you play it today that you that it's going to blow your mind. It's it's a decent little game, and uh, you should check it out. So thank you for listening. That was Cave Story, and we both do recommend it, albeit to slightly different degrees. This was Patrick and James. Uh, we are the Retrospectives Podcast. You can find us at rspodcast.net. We've got all of our episodes there and also a wide array of articles about all the games we've been playing over the past few months. Our Twitter handle is at retpodcasts. We'd love if you get, give us a follow so you can follow our struggles through the games we've been playing. And uh, if you prefer, you can send us an email, uh, retrospectivespodcast at gmail.com. And if you're not a dinosaur, you can join us on Discord, where we quite often argue about the games we've been playing. Not just the retro games, but we often talk about a lot of modern titles that have been coming out. Recently, we've been talking a lot about Dota and Control and a lot of other things. So we talk about all sorts of gaming-related things. So come and join us on Discord. And we've got a fair few people on, mostly close friends but we've had a couple of you come in and say hi and we really appreciate everyone who's dropped in to have a chat with us and we'd love to hear from more of you so um if the discord link is on the website which again is rspodcast.net so if you feel like having a chat come on down we'd love to have you come tell tell us why i'm right and james is wrong i need all the positive reinforcement i can get yeah, currently um, Patrick's on a losing battle in the Discord, um, and it has been that way for quite a while. So if you do find some opinion of his that you agree with for some stupid reason, <laughs> come down and uh, maybe defend him. Um, it's been pretty fun so far. So uh, we hope you've enjoyed listening today. Uh, so next fortnight, we're playing a new game. The game we're playing is Diablo 1 uh, plus the Hellfire expansion. So Diablo 1 is a game I played and finished when I was much, much younger. I was never hugely into Diablo 2, but I did love me some Diablo 1, and I remember staying up quite late to finish it. Um, I found that on GOG they have the base game plus the Hellfire expansion, and Hellfire is an expansion that's like seamlessly integrated into the base game. So I thought I'd uh, revisit that uh, game of my youth and see if it's still good today or if uh, more modern ARPGs have left it in the dust. Yeah, I'm a big Path of Exile fan. I was playing it for a good five hours this morning before we started playing. The new league's pretty fun. You should check it out. But I've never played where it all started, Diablo 1, which I believe is a bit different. It's more of an uh, more of a straight RPG rather than an action game. I doubt it'll resemble anything like Path of Exile in this day and age. From memory, it's just a lot simpler. So uh, expect expect something that's much more ba back to basics than those insane skill trees you're normally stuffing around with, James. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see where it, uh, where it all started. So um, until then, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. See you in two weeks. Bye.